Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 97. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hey, if you've been enjoying the Thread podcast, I want to ask you for a favor. Uh, we need more comments on the iTunes network. So if you just go to iTunes uh, in the iTunes store, search Quinley or Chuck Quinley, you'll see the podcast there. If you just leave us a rating and a comment, I would really, really appreciate it because it'll get more people to find out about the podcast. Well, today, oh wait, before I talk about anything else, I want to talk to you about something I am super excited about. Our good friends at UCB Australia, Ian Warby and the board and all the guys down there, have gotten behind us here in Asia, and they're helping us to launch, uh, as far as I know, the very first opportunity online for you to get media missionary training. We're putting together a media missionary course. We're going to have some media instruction in it, but even more than that, help you understand the whole point of media, how you could participate. Uh, it's just a whole new day. Media is a world language. It's the new world language, and the church has got to learn to speak it, and we all have to start producing stuff because social media is where it's at and media on a smaller scale, not thinking so much like uh, you know we're a big network broadcast group, but think about thousands of people because we could all reach them, which is more than most people would ever do in their whole lifetime. So I think it's a really exciting age to be around and one that I'm I'm glad to be in. So thank you, UCB Australia. And we'd love to get your comments. So if you just write me, Chuck at Quinley.com, let me know what you think about this, what kind of things you hope we would cover. Uh, any questions that you have, I'd love to get some feedback from you guys out there because we've got our, our audience goes to about 12 different nations on the Thread podcast. And with the U.S. and the Philippines being our uh, top two countries. And I would love to hear from people in those countries so that we can try to design uh, a school that will help you. All right. Well, today we're in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 24. This is a, another great passage. I love the book of Acts. You know, Christ came to smuggle a new world order into earth, God's reign over the earth, one life at a time, until finally he does uh, take over, and the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth, as the Bible says, like the waters cover the sea. And there's coming a day when God will rule with human willingness, that God will rule over all the institutions of this world. But right now we don't see that. Uh, the Bible opens with a picture that earth was once a perfect paradise, not even having one thorn in the grass, but that man caused that paradise to be lost through grasping for the power to be a God. We've always wanted that God-like power. And so we came out from submission to our Creator, and so we left His covering of protection and provision and the chaos that we all live in now uh, expanded across the earth. So Jesus came to bring back the kingdom of God, and he, he empowered us to function as his agents of change, extending God's covering once again, one life at a time. And that's why the book of Acts is so important to us as leaders, 
because it shows us um, what happens in any town, any family, any society when God's kingdom enters and begins to do its work in human lives. You know, darkness immediately rises and tries to extinguish the light when it comes up because the darkness is driven by, as Paul pointed out in his writings, principalities and powers and spiritual rulers in the invisible world. And their demonic rule dominates lost men and women and all the institutions of society. And, and these people get roused with fear because the authority of Christ is entering their territory and it's starting to destroy the work that the devil has in place. And so the darkness will always typically fight back and it will use the um, the powers of human society. You know, some people, we live in Asia and there's a whole lot of, of superstition and a whole lot of even not just superstition, but really spirit world power. And sometimes people ask us, um, you know, are you afraid of that? Is, is, is that a problem for you? Do you get all these uh, demonic attacks? And, you know, there's times that we've got some strange stories that we can tell of things that happened that were a little out of the ordinary. But really, the biggest troubles that come to Christian people all over the world whenever they push forward in outreach, uh, that those problems come from the pillars of society. When I say pillars of society... I mean uh, educational systems, the governmental system, the military, the business um, community, the press, uh, even the family. You know, Jesus said the family would be the chief instrument of, of uh, persecution on his people. And that's absolutely the truth all over the world because all of these are good institutions. I mean, we need them. Every society has to have them. But because they are so strategic on the chessboard of power, uh, the devil gets into those uh, organizations. And he does his work so that he can uh, steal, kill, and destroy, and he doesn't want anybody messing with that. And so uh, he invades these systems so that Satan uh, you know, is able to use education in an antichrist way and government in an antichrist way and business in an antichrist way. You know, it's always pushing against the kingdom of God because the whole dark world lies, lies behind our visible world and it aligns its systems against Christ, this world system. That's in uh, John chapter 1. It talks about the world. The world as a system that is uh, ever antichrist. And will remain so, always trying to put out the light until Jesus overpowers it and transforms these pillars of society after he humbles them and makes them submit to his authority. And that, you know, that's kind of a lengthy intro, but that's the story behind this, this chapter in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 12, and it's about a king that rises up against God's people, King Herod. You know, Acts chapter 11, we saw the kingdom break out of the narrow confines of Judaism. And in Antioch, a spiritual fire began to glow among uh, half-Jewish people and a, a lot of Gentile people. And then this fire begins now to blaze up because Gentiles start to accept the gospel in large numbers. You know, at first it's uh, hundreds and later it's thousands and tens of thousands 
And for the first time ever, the Gentile nations become included in the work that God has established on the earth. And they start to have their lives transformed and their families uh, feel the ripple effects of that. And a movement begins and it spreads across the Middle East. And in Acts chapter 12, the darkness rises to fight it back. Herod, king, is an evil man from an absolutely wicked family. If you, uh, They just all take the name Herod, but it's not the same man. You know, when you go through the New Testament, the family of Herod, well, you know, it starts with the Herod who persecuted Jesus. This one's called Herod the Great. And he tried to kill Jesus as a child. He killed all the infants in Bethlehem because he was afraid that God's anointed Messiah had arrived because he was tipped off by the, the wise men. The son of Herod the Great is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. He's the one who mocked Christ after his arrest. And, you know, these Herods, they killed their wives. They killed close family members. And now this is the grandson of Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa I. He ruled from A.D. 37 to 44. And he rises up and he kills James, James the Apostle, not James the half-brother of Jesus. This is James, who actually, I think, was a cousin of Jesus. Because I think James and John, if you if you read the, the references to the Marys, and put put it together, it seems to me that uh, James and John were the cousins of Jesus, but uh, whether I can prove that or not, he killed uh, Herod killed James with a sword publicly, and so that made him the first apostle to be martyred. And the scripture says that uh, in verse three, he saw that it pleased the Jewish crowd in uh, in and around Judea and Jerusalem, and so he made a move now to start killing other leaders of early Christianity. So he arrested Peter with the plan to kill him in a great public event. But verse 3 says, but not until we keep the Passover. Now this never ceases to amaze me. You know, how religious people can be two inches from the truth and yet blind to it. You know, Herod has cut a man's head off in public. And it has thrilled a certain set of the population. And the people who loved it, in verse 2, that he cut a man's head off, a man who had done no violence. He just arbitrarily uses his force because it's an unpopular movement, these Christians that are causing change and are causing our families uh, to be you know, thrown off. And they're, they're challenging the religious people, uh, the system, the religious system's power. So Herod cuts his head off, and people celebrate over this. And he wants to kill a second one, and it's like, oh, wait, we need to have the Passover ceremony. You know, so they're, they're doing this, of all things, Passover, uh, which is when they killed Jesus, frankly, uh, was right before Passover because Christ was our Passover. So they can do all these ceremonies, shed blood, the blood covers our sins, they can cry for sin, they can celebrate God's grace and His forgiveness and His mercy and His deliverance. And then turn right around and do murder. And, you know, even the uh, the high priests, you know, they were famous for their corruption and for their violence. And uh, I just, this just blows my mind. You know, you'd think religious people would have a spiritual core, but religion is not necessarily spirituality. 
And legalism is no friend of Christian spirituality, never has been. And so he arrests Peter, puts Peter in prison, is just going to wait a few days, and then he's going to, verse 4, cut his head off too. And so he put him in uh, the keeping of 16 soldiers, four squads of four, to be chained to him and keep him and bring him out in just a few days. The darkness is fighting back. Political power is being used. You know, the I guess you could say, quote, legitimate political power. This is the man who was the authority, according to Rome, over this uh, region. And he's using his stated authority, but he's using it against God and against God's people. Verse 5, you know, what do we do about that? Do you kill Herod? Do you... Uh, do bombings? Do Christians fight back? No, we do not fight back. Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. You know, and this is nowhere more true than when we are persecuted because of following Christ. That's one you just take, and you count yourself uh, honored that the Lord would allow you ever to lose your job, lose your popularity, lose an account, be taken off of something just because you are a believer and will not follow the ways of the world. Well, we can fight back, but we fight with spiritual weapons because in the end, the one that we're fighting in this case, chapter 12, is not Herod. It's the spiritual darkness that rules over Herod. He thinks he's acting independently, but he's not. He is acting out the wishes of the dark one. And so verse 5 Constant prayer, the scripture said, is being offered. Constant prayer, the weapon of prayer. And Herod is about to bring him out on the next day for his execution on verse 6. And Peter is relaxed. He is sleeping. This is the same Peter that when he was threatened with violence and, and it looked like he needed to die with Jesus, Peter couldn't bring himself to do it. He was so afraid the first time. But Jesus told him, even before he faced that challenge, when Peter denied Christ, Christ told him, you know, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. But I've been praying for you, and after you deny me, when you return, you strengthen the brothers. You take leadership, and Peter has, and it's worked. And Peter is ready now to face death, and he is laying there asleep. Verse 7, an angel touches him on the ribs and strikes him in the side, which tells me something. And one of the things it tells me is angels can physically touch us. Peter feels a physical touch on the side and he sits up and he hears the angel speaking to him saying, arise quickly. Now, honestly, I don't know why an angel has to say quickly. I don't know what the danger is. I don't know if like uh, the dark side is going to fight back now once they see me here and this could escalate. Maybe this means there are things angels don't know. There are situations that can change once they get involved in it. You know, I don't know. But the angel wants him to hurry up. And he says, get up quickly. His chains fall off his hands. No one wakes up at the noise of this. And the angel says, get your clothes on, tie up your sandals. And Peter does. The angel says, put on your coat. Follow me. And he follows him out. Peter thinks he's having a dream or a, a vivid dream or a vision. And then in verse 10, this angel is gone. The iron gate to the city opens up on its own accord. 
And Peter and the angel go down the street, and then when Peter looks around, he's all by himself. Scripture says in verse 11, Peter came to himself. And then he said, wow, now I know for certain the Lord sent his angel, and he delivered me from the hand of Herod and the expectation of the Jewish people. So Peter goes down to John Mark's house, and John Mark is going to continue to grow in his importance in the early church. He's a second-level leader. He was a young man. Uh, he was a young man who um, is relationally connected to this discipleship group. They stay in his family's house sometimes, and John Mark goes on missions trips. And some on the first trip, he got homesick and failed and Barnabas, uh, Paul wouldn't use him anymore, but Barnabas took him up. We'll see that later. And, uh, but Peter, in the end of Peter's days, John Mark is Peter's assistant. And when Peter does face execution later under Rome, it is John Mark that writes Peter's version of the gospel, the story that Peter always told when they went around this John Mark writes down. And that becomes for us the gospel of Mark. So Peter goes to John Mark's house, and the church is having a prayer meeting. Verse 13, Peter knocks on the door, and a young girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so excited that she did not open the gate. She ran inside and told everybody that Peter was outside. Now, I had, I've had the experience of living in a developing nation for 30 years of my life, and it's a, it's a different kind of world, but there's all kind of beautiful aspects of these societies. And one of the places we lived the longest was the Philippines. And you, you have uh, integrated family systems where you have employees of a family, but uh, and some families treat house help really like employees. And other families, though, start to, over time, blur the lines. And they recognize that a lot of these, these usually young ladies, uh, come from the deep provinces. They don't have much, by the way, of advantage. And their family is looking to them to send all this money home that they make. And, and they realize when they receive these girls into their homes, you know, especially I would think a Christian would feel this way. Uh, and they work for them and they help them around the house that this person is also a responsibility of theirs. And uh, they integrate them into their family system. And uh, you know, I just saw beautiful things happen in these extended family systems. You know, some a uh, little more affluent Philippine families that we were there. They have ten or more uh, drivers, helpers, gardeners. You know, in their circle, and those that that have a sense of uh, noblesse oblige, you know, which is a French way of saying if you have extra, then uh, you have an obligation to take care of other people with your surplus. And so I've seen these families, and I've seen good examples uh, of families that integrate these girls into their faith. They integrate them into their church life. They integrate them. They make sure the gospel reaches inside their house and that everybody at least understands the gospel message and has an opportunity to accept the Lord. And then, uh, and so, you know, here's Rhoda, and Rhoda works for this family, but Rhoda is also a part of the church, you know, so she is on the one hand an employee, but on the other hand, she's a sister. 
And this prayer meeting is going on, and Rhoda's there too. But Rhoda knows it's her job if somebody knocks on the door to go deal with the door. And so uh, I, I don't know. I just for me, it's a warm, it's a warm image, and I can just see little Rhoda in her uniform, and the door gets knocked on, and she goes to the door, and she she knows Peter, she knows his voice, she loves Peter, she's excited to hear Peter because she's also praying for Peter. And uh, so Peter just keeps on. Verse 16 says, Peter just kept on knocking. And finally, they all rush to the door. They hear the pounding. And they open it and they are astonished. And Peter says to them, he explains what happened. And then he says, go tell James and the brethren. On the one hand, this shows that already by this date, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is now the head of the church. You know, Peter is, is making sure, he's acknowledging even, that James has a leadership role. Tell James, tell all the other brothers. Well, verse 19, the next morning, Herod searches for Peter. He's nowhere to be found. He questions the guards. The guards have no answer. And Peter, uh, Herod executes all of them and then goes to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, his big show, his second show of force has now been... Um, avoided by the Holy Spirit as God sent angels to rescue Peter from him. He's not able to do the thing that he announced he would do. So now he's humiliated and he leaves for the Mediterranean Sea. And Peter has lived in the lap, um, Herod has lived in the lap of luxury all of his life. His whole family symbolizes um, the relentless attack of Satan using political power on God's people. Uh, they puff themselves up, and and this whole family, they just puffed themselves up. They did worse and worse evil. And finally, this Herod is about to pay the bill for this. He crosses a line of no return. You know, there's a judgment that follows you after you die, and God gives a lot of people who are wicked mercy until the very last minute, just hoping that they will turn. He extends his hand to them. He reaches out to them in love, but there is a line that you cross sometimes with the Lord. And even in this life, your punishment comes now, your death comes now, and your judgment comes immediately. And that's what happens with Peter. I, man, I just keep doing that with Herod. Uh, in verse 20, Herod now you know, looking for a recovery after his humiliation goes to visit the people of uh, in the region of Tyre and Sidon. He's in Caesarea. And it says, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. These are um, coastal cities. But these people came to him. Caesarea is a beautiful town, by the way. Uh, his headquarters. And they came to him with one accord. They made the king's personal aide, Blastus, their friend. And they asked for peace because they needed the food that Herod's country supplied and they set a day to flatter him and on that day he put on his royal apparel he sat on his throne and gave a big noble speech to them and the people just had a love fest with him shouting this is the voice of a god this is not the voice of a man and you know this when people get political power they just keep on pushing it farther 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 and the more uh, the more out of bounds they are, the more everybody gets scared of them and just backs off. And that's kind of what's happened with Herod. Uh, he helped politically get the uh, emperor of Rome in his position. 
and safeguard him. So he was given pretty much a free hand in his region to live and do as he wanted. But now Herod is puffing himself up, not against the church, but against God. And God takes it personally. Herod has killed his servant. He has now sought to kill another servant. And it's like this worthless family. They killed John the Baptist. They mocked Jesus. And the people are shouting, this is a God. It's a voice of a God, not the voice of a man. And Herod is basking in this worship, standing on his you know, his balcony area. And then it says in verse 23, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and he died. That's a fitting death. Given the condition of his dark soul, eaten by worms and died. And this death was corroborated by a first century historian named Josephus. So Herod has died, but I love verse 24. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. No amount of persecution can muzzle God's word. No amount of political power can stop the march of his church. The Russians tried it. The Chinese tried it. Islamic nations are trying it. In India, they've tried it and they're still trying it. You cannot stop the move of God's church because it isn't man's church. It isn't another political group that you can outmaneuver politically. We are talking about the kingdom of God, the everlasting kingdom made by the creator of this world. And he has come back to it in the form of his son. And he is here to reclaim all that is his. He is here to reach out and harvest a people who will love him and worship him with an open heart. They will give him their very best loyalty and honor. And God is on the move. And he is moving across Africa. My friends, he's moving across South America. He's moving across uh, Europe and all through Asia. I mean, this has been a cover story in Newsweek and Time since I've lived in Asia. The explosive growth of Christianity. Korea, Indonesia, Philippines, China. It just keeps going. It won't stop. And there's nothing they can do to stop it. This mustard seed will grow. God's kingdom will continue to expand. We may have to take some persecution. There may be some of us who die. And, and there's no answer even offered in Scripture as to why did James die? Why didn't Peter die? The Bible doesn't give answers to questions like that. It's just that it happens. There's times that we get rescued and there's times that we don't get rescued. There's times we just have to face what, what God sends to us and go down, um, go down to our death with faith and love and confidence and take the suffering that comes to us. But there are these other times that God, you know, he does give us these um, sort of like diamonds in the dust where the Lord shows us that he's here. His Holy Spirit reveals him. And he draws close to us. So God bless you. If you're brothers and sisters out there and you're, uh, you're in a hardship area, if you're facing persecution, we're with you. We encourage you. Just know that the mustard seed is growing. The kingdom is coming and nobody can stop it. Well, that's all for this episode of Thread. If you'd like to talk to me personally, I would love to interact with you. So just write me at my personal email, Chuck at quinley.com you can find the thread podcast and other things 
uh, related to uh, our ministry at Quinley.com. If you're interested in media training at Media Light, why don't you visit MediaLightAsia.com. See you next time on Thread. <laughs>